I'm uh, very excited that we could actually get on here today. Um, this is something that I've been wanting to do for a while uh, with you. And I'm sure, you know, I kept reaching out and I kept poking and uh, maybe even bugging you. Um, but again, I'm glad that we could actually get on here today. So thank you for being on the show. Yeah, I'm Jill Joe Hanningmeyer. I do have um, a life after story. Um, my life after story more is my life started at um, 38 years old and continues to get bigger and bigger and more beautiful than I ever thought imaginable. So, um, yeah, I've got a uh, personal struggle with um, addiction and um, I live my recovery very loud. <laughs> I tell my story often in the recovery community um, to that audience and apparently I might reach somebody in your audience, but I hope that's what I'm doing today. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we, before we dive into the story, which to me, it's an amazing story. Um, why don't you just talk about kind of just a little bit about your background and, and your childhood and where you grew up. Um, let's talk about that first. Yeah, you bet. Um, I am from Colorado. My um, folks got a divorce when I was about 11 years old. It's 11, 12 in that time frame. Uh, I can identify that as being the first time that I became uncomfortable in my skin, so to speak. And everything that I was wasn't enough. And I spent a lifetime kind of struggling to fit in my skin. Um, I found that uh, substances at a very early age was something that made me more, um, I don't know, I, it was like that social lubricant um, that continued to work um, and just kind of expanded. So. Um, yeah, I've got an awesome family, a very supportive family. Um, so it wasn't really, you know, the traumatic childhood by any stretch. Um, just, I can identify that when they got a divorce, that became, I don't know, it's something that I just didn't work with. Um, very uncomfortable. No. Joe, what, what age was that when that, uh, happened with your, with your parents? When that was going on, I was uh, 11 to 12 years old. Um, I did start a new school in sixth grade and definitely can look back on that as being the time where I had to change everything about who I was, you know, everything, the way I was going, um, seeking attention, um, you know, was a big part of that stealing for that excitement. Um, I think that, you know, it was definitely alcohol at a young age. I remember the first time I drank, it was alcoholically, like off the bat. Um, and then the things that surrounding it was hiding it. Um, and, and, and it just kind of modeled the way that I continued to do things throughout life. Um, and then, yeah, as the years progressed, it was more of a, an excitement to add something new to it and experiment with, with other things. And the culture around it became the exciting uh, thing for me until it wasn't. Right. And so as a, as a young kid, just experimenting like a lot of kids do, looking back, I mean, was it more just experimenting? Was it more trying to mask or cover, you know, the situation that was going on? Um, I mean, what were the negatives at that time for you, Joe? Yeah, I think it was both. Um, I think it was just a cycle of things. Um, there was a lot of drinking to cover up shame and guilt <laughs> of things that I had done. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the biggest part of all of it is just to feel comfortable with who I was um, or wasn't. I, I was definitely living, um, thinking that who I was wasn't enough. So it was a, a, a 
that it was a mask it mm -hmm. is the best way to i think you nailed it <laughs> right all right absolutely so for me um and honestly i don't remember the first time i i got to meet you um obviously i went to see you play football up there from 2000 to 2004. um your father at the time uh owned a restaurant where we all used to hang out at or even work at uh some of the players yeah. i know they were able to work there um but how did you end up in boulder uh, ended up in Boulder. We uh, would start at this sports bar um, very close to Folsom Field, park there, drink there, walk over to the field and watch my uh, cousin play ball. So uh, my cousin Ryan played up at CU um, and 99 is, was his senior year. So it was 99 when we purchased that bar. Uh, I was the active uh, manager over there and uh, loved it. Um, that's where I got to meet you guys. Um, my uh yeah so that's kind of how that happened um i moved myself and my small child up there and we lived there for five years and ran that restaurant yep and the, and the restaurant was the barrel house right yes it was yeah <laughs> <laughs> right it's okay. 2005 when we closed so 2005 was yeah and my last year in boulder was 2004 so uh just right after i was done in in boulder so so let's fast forward, Joe, obviously from childhood, uh, you know, like a lot of kids, like I said, uh, you go through uh, divorce as a young kid, don't know how to deal with it, don't know why, is it your fault? You know, a great time in my life, but also a really pivotal time in my life. Um, you know, so running that bar, I'm in my early 20s and um, on top of the world. I own this restaurant. All my friends are on the football team, so we own that town, right? <laughs> I mean, it was non-stop fun but here's the thing it was uh non-stop fun surrounding like this substance that is uh you know it, it's got a good hold on me um you know i'm I, I don't believe that i have a problem with alcohol at this point because i'm at a restaurant that pushes alcohol um and i run a promotion company and our um all my clients were in the, the liquor uh industry so we were pushing different the alcohol at different bars and nightclubs. So my entire world was surrounded by alcohol. Um, and that's, you know, the college lifestyle, it was all happening there. Um, you know, I was, I, I injured my ankle, um, but you know, I did, years later, a surgeon will tell me it's genetic. I've got loose ligaments. Um, you know, I, I can tell you that the truth was it was mostly alcohol and high heels, but I had to get an ankle reconstruction and was introduced to pain medication at that time. So it was more than alcohol at that point. It's it's alcohol and, and pain pills. And uh, that's that's really where that became, um, yeah, my new drug of choice. And it's a, it's a pretty powerful one. Um, I use pain medication from you know, 2002 until I was 38 years old in 2015. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that, that, that problem got massive. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. And honestly, thank you for sharing that because I know it's a, a personal thing that you, that you went through and uh, you know, I think it's hard to talk about whether it's for you or for a lot of people. Um, but just to recap, you know, I know a lot of people, I, I had a lot of friends that were, you know, in restaurants uh, behind the bar, uh, serving alcohol, um, worked in nightclubs, late nights, and it's very easy for you to fall into that lifestyle 
Um, obviously going into it, you know, it's a lot of fun and you get to be around great people and you get a party, which is obviously amazing. But then there's a darker side that people don't really understand. And I, and I know, uh, again, just from friends that have been in that business and that industry, it's very easy to kind of go probably a little further than, than you should, and then just get caught up in that lifestyle. And, you know, it might start out as drinking. And then obviously for you, Jill, you had the surgery, um, just like any doctor, they, you know, prescribe these, these painkillers. Um, and again, depending on the person, uh, it can be addicting and it's very addictive and it's, it's a huge epidemic that we have today. So kind of, how did you deal with that, Jill? Like coming into that lifestyle, you know, having the surgery, getting on, on pain medicine and then needing more kind of what happened, you know, for you from that point going forward. Sure. Um, I, I can remember back when it was a choice, whether I was going to, you know, use this substance or not. And the problem with that is at some point, there's no longer a choice. You're physically addicted to this drug. Um, you know, and I, I know that even when I first had a physical um, addiction towards it, I, I told myself that it wasn't. I, I remember using the word I'm dependent. <laughs> and, and that's how I kind of justified things in my mind about how things were going um, with that. But, uh, you know, I, I continued to, to drink and use any substance that was in front of me. Um, you know, I, uh, it, it, these problems just morph. Um, and, it, it, and really it was like, you know, whether we're talking about the substance or not, Marcus, what it came down to, it was a problem with me. Um, I wasn't comfortable with me and these things were just, you know, new different ways to do things. Um, I often will share about how it was, my solutions were, um, you know, a different drug. And that always led me to like the next big problem. Um, you know, is, is I found out that, you know, I, you know, I'm, I, I've got, I go, go through blackouts when I drink, like I don't remember things I've embarrassed myself and I don't remember how or why, or what was said. Um, I, I found with the pain pills that, that that wasn't really a thing. So kind of justified that this is my new, you know, proper drug to use. And um, it, yeah, it presented a whole ne new level of problems. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, I, yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, you know, I love to hear it because I personally haven't dealt with that, but I know a lot of people do. And that's what I want people to listen to and hear today is that I know there's a lot of people dealing with that uh, right now as we speak. And Jill, I know you and I have mutual friends that have dealt with the same thing. And so what would you, you know, give uh, from advice, from an advice standpoint to someone listening today from where you've been and where you're at today? Sure. And, and you know, you've mentioned that we've, we've got a lot of friends in common who suffer from this too. And I think that the thing that I'm, most passionate about now is to like dissolve the stigma around addiction because it doesn't discriminate. This happens to anybody. Um, you know, I have, you know, my cousin is somebody who's just like this brilliant man and is an insanely talented athlete. And, you know, this happens to him. I, you know, work with people who are from all backgrounds. This doesn't discriminate. So I think that like, you know, from a party standpoint, you know, that's where it starts with everybody. And then, you know, when it becomes, you know, a thing where there's not a choice anymore, whether you do this or not, and it's just something that you have to do, um, 
you know, that that's when I knew I was different. And that's when I knew like, this is, I, I'm an addict. And today I'm very proud of that, but that is something that I fought with until I was 38, you know, to, to, to be like, I, I need help. Um, you know, really proud, you know, thinking I can do this on my own. I can, I can figure out how to get off of this. And, and like I mentioned, it's like, you know, my answer of how to like tackle these problems was with a different substance. Um, you know, the, the solutions were presented for me. Um, when I finally did say I need help and went to treatment, um, you know, but, but it was a lot of pain that happened before I did that. Um, so I, I think I, I just, I really hope that if, that there, if you're questioning, if you've got, you know, an addiction thing or that they're, that you're struggling with it, then you probably are. Um, it's my experience that people who don't have a problem with drugs or alcohol don't question it. So, um, and there's a lot of treatment options and a lot of resources within a community that um, that you can go to um, that I didn't know about. And I'm really passionate about helping people find those things because you don't have to hurt as long as I did. Um, and yeah. <laughs> right, All right, no, thank you very much. So what about, I mean, when we're talking about these issues, uh, drugs, alcohol, addiction, um, it's easy, very easy to talk about loss. Uh, Jill, for you, can you talk about any personal loss that you've had or you've you've dealt with directly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I'd like to think that once I'm in recovery, that the loss will stop. Um, but the demographic of people I work with, it's unfortunately, it's it's a very common occurrence. But um, you know, it's it's definitely part of this thing. It's a deadly disease. Um, a huge part of why I ended up finding recovery. Um, I've mentioned how important, you know, my cousin was to, you know, why I'm involved, uh, you know, in a restaurant up in Boulder and um, why I know you. Um, and some of these awesome athletes at CU is is because my incredibly, incredibly talented cousin played up there. Um, we're very close and, um, you know, he was prescribed pain medication as well for injuries that um, he had in football. And, uh, you know, his, his path looked like mine. It was something that was there to, to help with the pain and became something that you're dependent on. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of struggle with what do I do now that I'm no longer playing football. And I think that he definitely went through um, some personal emotional stuff with that. And, and frankly, drugs and alcohol for an addict or an alcoholic absolutely help you through the day to day. Um, you know, I ended up, um, you know, using with, with this person, um, you know, who, who I call my brother, right? It, it's, it's my cousin, but it, it, we're very, very close. Um, I, um, I ended up finding my cousin dead, um, March 9th of 2015 mm -hmm. and he had died of an overdose. Um, there was a lot of guilt and shame around that, um because we were doing this thing together. Um, and I didn't reach out to uh, tell our families who love us very much and our very supportive families um, that that this was happening, um, that he was um, it, basically knocking on death's door. Um, and uh, it's a big part of why I do what I do today, Marcus. Um, yeah. When I uh, got into recovery um, six months after his passing, I, uh, I remember being told by somebody very important to me that the best way that I can 
um, free myself of the guilt and to honor his memory is to, as a healthy person in recovery, show people how um, they, they can survive this thing. And I take it very seriously. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, and, and that's, that's not the last person um, that I've loved and lost to this, um, but I, uh, I would do everything I can to make sure that that happens as little as possible. Right. And and again, thank you, Joe, for sharing that, because obviously I there's a reason why I asked that question. And um, I know it's very obviously deep and, and emotional and even hard to talk about uh, today, you know, and for you, that was, you know, not just a cousin, but almost like a brother. And unfortunately, uh, when we're talking about these these situations, um, most times or majority of the time, you know, these are things that we're not doing or people are not doing by themselves. You know, they're, they're doing it with friends or family members or the circle they run in. And, um, you know, for me, I just, I can't imagine uh, having to deal with that, you know, on a, on a personal level, um, just because of, like you, you said, the things that you, you think about, you know, the, the shame and, and the guilt and, you know, what else could you have done? What if you would have told family members what was going on? Um, and again, you can't control the outcome because you weren't for forcing that person to, to make those choices. But um, again, anyone listening today, these are real life after situations that, that you potentially are going to have to deal with. And Jill, I, I honestly, I, I commend you because of where you are at and what you do today. And like you said, you had somebody very important and someone close to you, you know, tell you how you could make a difference going forward. And to me, it sounds like you've, you've dedicated kind of your life's work now, your life after story, uh, helping others recover when it's, you know, uh, drugs, alcohol, and addiction. So I definitely applaud you for what you've been able to do, uh, you know, since then. Thank you. So let, let's talk about kind of, uh, you know, your your journey of getting sober. Uh, like I said, it's it's probably one of the hardest things to do out there today. And again, someone's listening. What do they do? How do they get help? Who do, who do they turn to? You know, it, it might be hard or embarrassing to talk to close friends and family members. Uh, Joe, what can these people do to, to lead, start that path of, of recovery? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can tell you a little bit about how I started that path. And, and that was, you know, just uh, kind of got forced into it. So I'm, I'm grateful today that it was a family friend who was close with my cousin um, when I finally said, whoa, I, it, it's big. I mean, Marcus, I, you know, my, like I said, I've treated one substance for the next. I, I, I was using heroin by the very end of this. And it was that family friend that said time out. Um, she called my dad. I went to a, um, he actually took me to the emergency room. They suggested I go to a detox. From the detox, I went to a treatment center. And uh, by the time I got to treatment, it was uh, about, okay, guy, I give up. Um, I'm going to trust whatever you guys tell me to do, and I'm going to do that. And I literally took every suggestion that was given to me. I hated all of most of those suggestions, all of them, most of them, <laughs> but I hated them. I didn't like it. It was definitely taking me out of my will, which was frankly why I was in the position I was in. Um, 
I think that, you know, talking to people about what they should do next, here was where I struggled is that if I could talk to my family, but they didn't use heroin. So how were they going to help me? Um, my family didn't drink like I did. Um, you know, I, and these are people that are very loving and supportive, but I, I didn't expect anybody to understand the problems I had. So, you know, I, 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 I suggest that people go to these, you know, 12 step support groups. These are free. These are people who guess what are just like me, um, who didn't read about addiction in a book and didn't watch a show on TV about what it's about. I, I've lived it. Um, there's nothing anybody can tell me that's going to shock me about their addiction because a good chance that I went through it too. Um, I offer my phone number up to anybody, anybody I've worked with. I said, if you see somebody struggling, give them my phone number. Um, so, so yes, I, I offer your listeners and watchers to call me. I, I'll point you off in the right resources. Um, but you know, there, there's definitely different pathways and I love that you call it a journey because that that's what it is. Um, you know, there, there's constant growth to this and there's different steps in the process. Um, and I like to think that I'm getting better at <laughs> navigating all of that every day. And most of that's through my own experience. So, Absolutely. And I just wanted to point out, Joe, the, the number that was on the screen, is that your personal number? It is. Yeah. Okay. Can we show that again, Vic? Yeah. So the, the number, if you can't see the screen and you're just listening to the audio today, uh, the number for Jill is 720-431-3824. And she's kindly enough giving you her number, someone that's been there, that's done that, has gone through the same path that you might be at today. She's literally telling you to just call her, text her, reach out, <laughs> and, and literally ask these questions, you know. Um, this is this this would be between you and, and her, and she again can share her story. Uh, how she found help. Um, so again, Joe, I just appreciate you making that available. And then how about, let's talk about what you're doing now today, Joe, yeah. uh, what are you involved in? Yeah, and I, I do want to add too, like uh, if you call me, you're not putting me out. Um, literally like it's, it's part of why I am sober today is my opportunity to be able to help other people. Um, so yeah. So what I get to do today, um, first of all, Marcus, I didn't even mention like the reason for my existence is this awesome, amazing 18 year old daughter that I have. Um, she was 14 um, going into ninth grade, like literally starting ninth grade when I checked into rehab. Um, this daughter who's just, you know, like I, I was there and she, I can say that she was my gravity. She kept me from being this, you know, uh, letting this addiction take me down fast is, it, fast, you know, as fast as I probably would have. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, um, I've got the, an amazing relationship with my daughter today and, um, th that that's awesome, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> which is no. like something that's like really tough for, you know, people that go, Oh my gosh, you know, you're a mom. How can you like do this? And, and, and yeah, moms also struggle with this stuff, but, um, right. yeah, I have this very cool relationship with my daughter. Um, I get to work in the addiction field for an awesome person who is, um, you know, Bryce Hancock is the owner of Mile High Sober Living and Continuing Care. I met him in the recovery community and offered up a uh, house manager position for me. Um, and I took it and today I get to like run all these sober living houses um, with young men, old men, young women, old women, um, all ages, 
all backgrounds coming to get sober. Um, so I get to work within that community um, and my life is living and breathing recovery um, today. And had you told me I'd be doing this four years ago, I would have thought you're in the <laughs> Right, right. So with the facilities that you work out, this would be a facility that someone is, is dealing and struggling with drugs or alcohol, they could actually come to. And how to, what, can you explain that process just so people understand and even, even myself? Absolutely. Yeah. So sober living and um, outpatient treatment is part of a continuum of care as far as, you know, when you're struggling with drugs and alcohol. A lot of people come to sober living and continuing care from a rehab facility, though it's not necessary to start there. Um, outpatient treatment is, um, you know, you'll go to groups, you'll meet with a therapist, uh, psychiatrist, and um, you know, kind of help you with, you know, the medical side of it. Whereas the sober living environment is living in a supportive environment um, with a house manager who's been through it. Um, you know, it's my, my favorite thing that I heard when I got into treatment is nothing changes if nothing changes. Mm -hmm. So when you take the drugs and alcohol out of your life, it's not like, you know, you go to a treatment center, you clean up for 30 days and you're done. It is a lifelong process that, um, that we get to do. Um, you know, I'm part of 12 step programs, which is a huge part of what we do in our sober livings, huge part of my recovery. Um. But yeah, I work within a treatment center and um, sober living that show people how to do life. Uh, Marcus, I didn't know how to go to the grocery store sober. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I, I know you're laughing, but these are real things that, you know, that drugs and alcohol, they can obviously cause. And obviously you lived it. And uh, again, I just want to point that out because, again, my goal is for someone to hear this that we don't even know and whether they're personally dealing with it or someone listening knows a friend or a family member dealing with it, I just hope and I and I pray that we could actually be a resource for people. Uh, because again, this isn't just two people talking today on the podcast and and like you said, Jill, <laughs> read a book or, or watched something on TV. This is real life and this is your story and, and your journey. And and luckily, you're you're in a great place. I know you're doing amazing. Um, I can only speculate in terms of it's not always easy. Uh, like you just mentioned, it's a, it's a lifelong journey. Uh, you don't go to rehab and, you know, 30 days later, you're clean, ready to go. This is something that people are always going to continue to deal with, even if they've been clean for six months, a year, five years, there's always an opportunity of, of, of relapsing. And so I just appreciate that you're sharing your, your story and your insights. Uh, because you obviously lived it, Jill. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's um, you know, it, it you know, talking to family members, I, you know, like I said over and over again, I have a very supportive family, um, it, and they were very, very awesome when it came time to apologize about things, which is a really important process um, piece of the process that we go through is is to make an amends and. My family is very forgiving of me, and I feel like I get to give back to families when I have a family member struggling. I talk to sisters who are hurting, and it makes me aware of how bad I hurt my sister. Um, and it's my opportunity to help them out. Um, same with parents. Daily, I'm speaking with parents who are like, what do I do? And, um, you know, I get to meet with 
with mom and the kiddo and say, come on, let's talk. And there is a language of, of drunk that I speak to another alcoholic that um, makes sense. And uh, I, I'm really blessed to have that. It's, it's right. like this, this shameful, horrible thing about me can, tends to be my asset today and um, how I can be of help to other people. So uh, thank you for this platform um, to, to spread that message. Right, absolutely. And again, it's, it's, it's truly amazing because again, um, the goal is you know you've you've experienced loss and you personally could have been in that position and you would have put friends and family member uh in a position because they could have lost you and fortunately that didn't happen and i know one of your biggest goals is not allowing that to happen to to kids or or adults whoever it may be because you've experienced that and i know that's something that is 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 heavy on your heart and you don't want you know other people to have to experience that experience that as well. So again, I, I just appreciate you sharing this and and opening up and 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 sharing with our viewers um, because you know it's it's real and it's 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 a big uh, deal in my opinion today. And you know the the great news is there is help. And um, you know until you've actually been through it and and you've lived it, uh, it's hard to understand you know, what goes through the mind and, and the process. And, and, you know, fortunately we have people like you, Jill, that are willing to speak up and, and again, share your story. So again, I just thank you. Um, and I can't thank you enough for, for sharing this, uh, uh, you know, your story. Thank you, Marcus. So Jill, the last thing I wanna ask you is kind of, you know, like you said, four or five years ago, you obviously didn't pitch yourself where you're at today. What does the next five years look like for you? What what would your goals be uh, for you personally, Joe? Uh, I love it. Um, yeah, you know, it's honestly like throughout this process, um, I, I can tell you that things continue to work for me just by doing what I love to do. It is insane that I have um, found my passion and my purpose um, by setting my goal to stay clean. Um, I, I see myself doing exactly this um, and just reaching more people. Uh, every day I get to work with awesome people transforming their lives. And that's where this really pays off. Um, my phone is on 24 hours a day. And yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't sleep like I used to or like I should. But um, I don't know, the busier I am doing this, the fuller my life is. And I just see that getting, I don't know, insanely awesome. But I'm really pumped to see like what life brings. Um, but yeah, I'll be doing this. Um, yeah, this is my purpose. Absolutely. And and to me, I think, you know, we're, we're all, you know, here for a reason. And for whatever reason, you've had to go through the journey that you have. And God willing, you have a lot, you know, to live and, and to give back. And so um, I just, again, uh, appreciate you being on the show today. Obviously, we gave uh, our viewers uh, your number. I'll be posting it um, on all the platforms. Um, here it is again, 720-431. 3824. Uh, that's Jill directly. And then again, Jill is a part of so many different programs and facilities here in Colorado. And if you're in another state, um, I'm sure she can help you find other resources in other states as well. So again, uh, Jill, I just want to thank you for being on, sharing your real life, life after uh, story. And um, I, I look forward to obviously staying in touch with you um, I'm blessed to know you over the years, and um, I just hope that we can reach a lot of people and help a lot of people going forward in the future. 
Thanks again, Marcus. All right. Thanks, Joe. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening today. Please do me a huge favor and make sure you subscribe to Life After. If you could leave a rating and share this show with friends and family, this will help us reach more people who may need the help. It could even save their life.